for me, <laughs> I really would like to be financially free. Uh, in this six-week series, we're going to investigate what the Bible says about financial freedom. And let me tell you uh, from the outset that um, this series of sermons is, is not about uh, me or the church getting something from you. We don't want to get anything from you. What we want, what I want, this has been my prayer, is we want to give something to you. And that thing that we want to give you is financial freedom. And if you experience financial freedom God's way from Scripture, you will be amazed at how your life will be transformed. So that's what we're going to be looking at these weeks. So as we're going through these six messages, don't think about, well, you know, you know, what does the church want from me? You know, God's going to place that on your heart. This is about God wants you to have something that will literally change your life. So uh, before we begin, let me answer a couple of, uh, and these always come up in finance messages, a couple of objections. Anytime I talk about money, um, the question always comes up, um, why talk about money in church, Right. Uh, why not just make sure, because we do Dave Ramsey twice a year, uh, there's Crown Financial, there's a lot of great Christian financial resources out there. Why not just leave all that stuff up to Dave Ramsey and Crown Financial and like that? Well, here, here's the reason. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has said more about money and managing money than anything else except faith and love. Number three, after faith and love, any conversation in the Old Testament and the New Testament has to do with money and how we manage that money. See, we, we cannot be, experience balance in our lives if this piece is out of balance, if we don't have margins in our lives. Because if we don't have this kind of balance that comes with financial clarity and financial commitment, uh, what we experience in our lives, and you all have felt this just like I have, you experience stress, fear, and anxiety. And believe me, stress, fear, and anxiety is not God's plan for your life. He doesn't want that for your life. He wants you to experience abundance. So it's important that we talk about money because God talked about money so much. And if we want to be in sync with the Heavenly Father, if we want to be in sync spiritually, we better have our financial matters in sync as well. So that's one objection. The Bible is rife with testimony and uh, correction and direction about financial management. But here's another objection. And, and, I, and, I, and I always feel this when we do a, a message like this. About once or twice a year, I talk to you about money. So th this isn't going to happen probably for a long time. So uh, hang on. Uh, so I always get some pushback on this. Okay, and the pushback is this. God and money is kind of like God in politics. Now, most of you know how I feel about speaking politically from the pulpit. I don't. And there's good reason for that. Uh, and, and, and I say, well, why don't we treat kind of God and money like God and politics? You know, keep, keep our, our, our church stuff, our faith stuff, our love stuff in here. But the money part, why don't we just kind of keep that off to the side? Here's the problem in Scripture. The two are completely and inexorably linked together. Let me, let me give you a couple of verses. And these verses are kind of being uh, an overarching theme throughout our series. The first verse is found in Luke 16. And if you don't have your Bibles, you've got them in your sermon notes. We'll put it up on the screen as well. 
Uh, these are uh, Jesus' words from Luke 16, 13 in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So one of the reasons we don't keep uh, uh, money and, uh, and religion or faith uh, separate is because Jesus puts them together constantly. And here's another verse from Matthew. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. You're familiar with this passage. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, in some of your Bibles, you might find that that passage has been torn out because you don't like it. You know, it's too convicting, right? Now, okay, that and the whole book of James, it's gone. You know, like that. Now, you can't do that, right? This is the gospel. This is the word of God. Where your treasure is here on earth or in heaven, your stuff or relationship with God, where your treasure is, there is your heart as well. Your heart will follow your treasure. That's what God is saying here. Stuff or God, you pick, but your heart will follow your treasure. Now, the point of these two verses is this. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is very much about your heart. Now, we, we talk about this all the time here at Hope. Uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ, and remember, I even mentioned this in the, in the sermon last Sunday at, at, at Tumbleweed. Um, it's, the Bible doesn't say, behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's a matter of the heart. Both Nicodemus and Joseph had their hearts transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion never transformed them. Religion never changed their lives. And so what we are all about here and what the gospel is all about is having a heart that is transformed. And whenever you read about money in the New Testament, especially, it's always connected. Oh, and you hate this, but it's always connected to the heart. God knows what he's talking about. Now, I'll give you an example. If you want to know where my heart is as your pastor and as your friend, if you want to know where my heart is, you need to look at my checkbook. You need to look at my visa statement. You need to look at my checking and my savings account. And quite honestly, I know what Sherry would feel about this. I would have no problem showing them to you. But if you want now, some of you might say, well, that's not really fair. And people that say that's not really fair are people that don't want anybody else to see their checkbook. Um, but that's not really uh, what, you, what we really care about. Pastor Dwayne is your preaching. And that that's where we see your heart and when we see God. And I say, well, I, in some ways that's true. But remember, preaching for me is a gift of the spirit. It's not like I'm, I'm virtuous because I preach. I preach because God gave me the gift and I've got to preach. You know, I, I have to. So, so, so don't think that I'm virtuous. If you, I mean, yes, you see my heart, but that's not. Or you say, well, look at Pastor Dwayne's Bible. First of all, it weighs 33 pounds, which is more than yours. And, and you look at his Bible and all the markings and there's different colors and different notes in the margins. Oh, you can really see Pastor Dwayne's heart. Well, no, actually, it's just colored pencils. You know, <laughs> there's not that much there. But if you want to know my heart, you look at my checkbook. You look at my visa statement. And God would say the same thing of you. So these are the two reasons why we look at finances. I know there'll always be some pushback, but um, you can't serve two masters, God and money, and 
Your treasure, your treasure always is where your heart is. In other words, another way of saying that is your heart will always follow your treasure. And if you're if you're uh, super glued to this earth, that this is what matters, you know, with my stuff and my things and this earth. If, you, if you're super glued to that, you're that's where your heart's going to be. But if you hold things loosely, if you recognize that all that you have comes from God, that you don't aren't holding tight to things. God says, use these and enjoy them, but just don't hold on to them. So now I want to give you kind of a big picture look and uh, kind of an introduction to the series that we're going to be doing a big picture look at financial freedom. And a couple of the, the, the words that will be used a lot through the series are um, margins. We all need financial margins. And the other is balance. Balance. We, now I'm, I'm an engineer, and uh, I remember my uh, uh, physics class from college uh, because it was like life to me. I love physics. Some of you are going, oh, yeah. Right? Remember a couple weeks ago we did math together? Well, we're going to do some physics together now, and I know you're excited about that. So here's three laws of physical balance. Three laws of physical balance. The first is this. Uh, if you're going to be in balance physically, and you're going to see the, uh, uh, the connector to the spiritual, if you're going to be in balance physically, you have to have a reference point. A gymnast always has, if you've ever noticed, I've never been a gymnast, but a gymnast always has a specific reference point. A juggler always has a reference point. If you're crossing the stream on a tree that's fallen over, you know, they always say, don't look down, and that's the truth. You always are looking at a reference point. Now, at the end of the sermon, uh, I'm going to give you a reference point for this series. So you can kind of uh, keep that in, in mind. But uh, you, you need a reference point. So um, several years ago when I was on uh, sabbatical, uh, Sherry and I were in uh, Oregon on the coast. And Stephen Vicki Reed are also taking their vacation. And they happened to meet up with us for a few days around Father's Day. And Sherry and Vicky decided that they were going to do Steve and I uh, a solid and and send us on a fishing trip. I think they just not want to get rid of us for a day, but I, I'm going to think the best of them. And so we went on a fishing trip. Now, Steve hadn't done much fishing and the water was really choppy that day. So even as we were kind of chugging out of the bay, you know, when the water's like glass, Steve's already kind of feeling kind of green and kind of doing one of these. And And, and then I said, Steve, if you're feeling sick, you need to keep your eyes on a specific reference point. And what they always tell you is look at the horizon. You know, don't look down at the water. You know, don't look at, look at the horizon. Now, after a while, Steve, after he had chummed considerably, uh, <laughs> Steve's reference point was the, the bottom of the boat. You know, his face down like this. You know, that's not the best reference point when you're sick already. You know, look at the horizon. No, I'm going to look at the deck, you know. So, so but you, you need a reference point physically. Now, spiritually, financially, you need a reference point. And again, as I mentioned, we'll give you that reference point at the end of the sermon. The second law of physical balance is constant corrections. You're constantly correcting yourself. So uh, if you've ever seen, uh, you know, a tightrope walker, Blondin, you've heard the story of walking across town. You know, they always have something right, uh, something to balance them. Right. So it's kind of the constant corrections. Constant, you're taking your steps and you're, you've got to focus and you've got to, you have constant corrections. So now this has never happened to me, of course, but maybe you, you're stopped by the highway patrol and you've been driving somewhat erratically. And it's most likely that you're trying to change the radio, but whatever. And uh, so they, he asks you to get out of the car and then he then he asks you to walk on this straight line. Right. 
And, 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 and normally, if you know, and something that simple, you just you walk on the straight line. But if you're kind of going like this and trying to constantly correct them, like, what? You might as well just get in the back seat with the German shepherd, you know. <laughs> it's too late for you. you know? but, but there's this constant correction. So that, and in our financial lives, there needs to be made constant corrections. We're constantly, I mean, I mean, we, we just are always having to make those. And that's, that's the second law of physical balance. The third is to have a clear objective. I want to get to the other side of the stream. I, I see that. Uh, I, I want you, you, you're focused on a clear objective. Uh, and in finances, uh, too many people don't have a clear objective. Um, too many people have presumed on their future instead of planned for their future. In other words, presuming on your future means that you're charging things, you're uh, having, having interest charged to you, and you're presuming on your future. Like, yeah, I know I'll have more money in the future. I know I'll have a job. And, you know, we, well, we all know how that works out. It just doesn't work out. It's interesting that the more money people make, the less disciplined they are about their money. Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, that makes sense because, you know, I've got more to play with. But, you know, God wants us to have a clear objective in our finances. And, um, and and you have to ask the question, well, why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. And this is what we're going to talk about next week. Here's why it matters. It's not your money. <laughs> it's not your money. It's God's money. He made you a steward of the money, but it's not your money. See, part of the problem is that we believe that it's ours. We do. We, we believe it's all ours. So, so, so for the rest of the time today, I, I want to just remember those three things. You have to have a right reference point, a reference point, constant corrections, and a clear objective. Those are the three laws of physical balance and the three laws of fiscal balance as well. Now, for the rest of our time together, um, I want to give you some big picture. Uh, how does our lack of financial freedom, our lack of margin, our lack of balance affect us in our every day lives. Well, several things. You can write these down in your sermon notes. It affects us financially, of course. It affects our ability to accomplish our financial goals. Now, there's three things that you can do with your money. And whether it's Dave Ramsey or someone else, they always tell you you need to have three jars, right? Uh, You've got a jar for spending, and that's the biggest jar. Then you have a jar for what? Saving, right? And then your third jar is a jar for giving. So you've got three jars. You've got a, a, a spending jar, which is the biggest. You've got a savings jar and you have a, uh, a giving away jar. And the problem is when we don't have those kinds of margins, we find ourselves getting in trouble all the time. We have an emergency, so we put it on a credit card. And so we're constantly being affected financially when we don't have balance in our lives and we don't have those kind of spending, saving, giving away margins. So it affects us financially. It also affects us relationally. Uh, and here's how it affects us relationally. Uh, when money is an issue, and we all know this is true, uh, worry, arguing, fighting over money, by the way, the number one cause of divorce in the United States is finances. If we and, and the, so the husband might say, well, if my wife would just spend less see, say, and, and, and the wife would come back and say, well, if you just make more, you know, and just kind of back and forth, it affects us relationally. God doesn't want this. And also another way it affects us relationally is we, we fail to have the ability to be generous. Oh, man, 
There's nothing greater in our lives than having financial margins, having financial balance so that we can be generous when God calls us to be. So it affects us financially, affects us relationally. It affects us emotionally. No peace. Worry. More money. More worry. So it affects us emotionally. And then lastly, and you would guess this, it affects us spiritually. Now, how does it affect us spiritually? Well, God gave it to me and it's mine to spend. And if you don't, if you believe that the money is yours and if you believe that you don't have enough, then the natural, again, this goes back to mathematics, right? The natural understanding, if, uh, if, if, if uh, you don't have enough money, is that uh, God is stingy. God's stingy. I don't have enough. My job's not good enough. God, I want to honor you with my money, but uh, you're stingy. You're not giving me enough. So, so that, that's how it can affect us spiritually. Uh, uh, we, 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 we kind of shove God out of the way. Or we pray, God, take care of my kids, my wife, give me a better job and more money so I can be faithful. And so, so when it comes to our, our giving, we go to God. When it comes to our kids and all. But when it comes to our spending, that's when we say, God, um, I can do this on my own. You know, you, know, you, you, you stand over there. The, the spending part, because it's mine. <laughs> the spending part. So, so this idea of, 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 of this mine reminds me of a, a scene from, well, you'll probably recognize this from Finding Nemo. Let's, let's take a look. All right, Gerald, what is it? Fish got your tongue? <laughs> a duck! <laughs> I gotta find my son, Nemo! <gasps> Nemo? Hey, 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 he's that fish! You know what we've been talking about? The one that's been fighting the whole ocean. Hey, I know where your son is. Huh? Hey, wait! The back! Stop! He's going! He's crazy! I got something to tell ya! Mine. Okay, don't make any sudden moves. Hop inside my mouth if you want to live. Hop in your mouth, huh? And how does that make me live? Mine? Because... I can take you to your son. Yeah, right. Oh, I know your son. He's orange. He's got a gimpy fan on one side. Now, I know it's silly, but I think God sees us just that way sometimes. Mine? 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 (laughs) And if we believe that the money that we have is ours, we're going to lose out spiritually every single time. It's all mine. Now, God was talking to the children of Israel, and um, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we we read these words. but the time, but that is the time to be careful. God is speaking to the children of Israel. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous, 
and have built fine homes to live in. And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. It is so easy to believe that everything we have is mine. It is so easy to forget that even, and we, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the same thing. It says, even your ability to earn a living with your two hands or with your mind or with your, even your ability to, to take a breath is a gift from God. So in the text, it goes on to say that God is the one who gives you the, the ability to be prosperous. Now, there's another passage in Malachi, which is the, old, the last book in the Old Testament. And it's, this isn't the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, this is uh, Malachi. And uh, 400 years before Jesus, 100 years after the children of Israel were brought back to their land and given their land again, grown children of Israel were brought back to their land and experienced this freedom for the first time. A hundred years after that, they became apathetic. Their crops began to fail. There was a threat of invasion. And they said, God, what's up? Aren't we your children? Why are you being stingy with us? Why so much grief? Why are you treating us so bad? You know, that could be a country song. You know, Scott could play that. Why are you treating me so bad, God? Everything's going bad. And here is God's response to that whining and complaining. Malachi 3, 7 and 8. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. He said, for the last hundred years, I gave you this new land, this wonderful land filled with milk and honey. And for a hundred years, you have turned your back on me, he says, basically. Back to the text. Now return to me, God says, and I will return to you. I want to see a step from you first, he's saying. I want to see you take a step towards me first. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? God replies, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God responds, you have cheated me of tithes and offerings to me. God says, now, all, you think everything's all hunky-dory and wonderful. You get the land filled with milk and honey. And, and then... 30 minutes later, and we see that all through the the desert journeys, right? 30 minutes later, you forget about me. You know, God, please deliver us from the Egyptians. So the Red Sea opens up, delivers him. You know, 30 minutes later, God, we're thirsty. Okay, water comes from a rock. 30 minutes later, we're hungry. Okay, here's some manna. 30 minutes later, we don't want manna. We want some meat. So there's quail. And always complaining, always. and, And that's what happened again to them. You see, the law in that day... Uh, The uh, Mosaic law was that 20 percent of your money came off the top for God. Twenty percent today in modern day Christians, you should feel good about yourself. It's only 10 percent, right? Twenty percent off the top before anything else. Ten percent went to temple maintenance. Temple maintenance was to have food and clothing for the priests, make sure the temple's taken care of. Make sure, you know, it's vacuumed and the bathrooms are clean, you know, before you get here to church, you know. And, uh, and then 10% for the feasts. It was kind of like a national tax when they had the big feast day, like, like would have been our Easter celebration last week, you know. 10% for that. And then every third year, 
An additional 10% was to be given to the poor. On average, three and a third percent every year of your money should go to the poor. 23 and a third percent yearly is how much money you should be giving. And God says, and the rest, the rest you can keep, right? You can put that in the spending jar, in the saving jar. But they forgot their source. They thought that everything was mine. They gave less and they gave less until they gave leftovers. They gave crumbs. And God said, you have received all of my blessings, and yet you have failed to take care of the kingdom and the poor. And then when you do that, God says basically this. Good luck. You're on your own. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Have you ever felt uh, you haven't maybe been very good as a steward of God's money? And things are bad and you've got a lot of debt and oh no, and my mortgage and my car payments and what am I going to do? My house is upside down and you got all these things and, and, and we forget. And as a result, God gets little or nothing. So the crops failed for the Israelites. The enemies encroached. And then Isaiah says, uh, Isaiah says that you are, are, are consuming everything. You're leaving no margin and you have robbed me. And you have robbed the poor. You're not inviting me into your financial lives. You've shut the door financially. And if you do that, God says, okay, I'll back off. If you think you know how to do this money thing better than me, I'll back off. And well, good luck. That brings us to another passage in Malachi chapter three. And God says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Did you know that this is the only place in Scripture that God dares you to test him? Now, Gideon got away with it, but he didn't get thumped, but I wouldn't try to fire you. But here's one area where he says, test me, test me. I promise you, if you put your money in God's perspective, if you put first fruits right off the top, you give to the church, you give to the work of the Lord, you do your tithe, you do that first thing. I promise you, you can't contain the blessings I want to give you. People that struggle financially, almost 100% of the time, they haven't given God his due. They're always struggling, always struggling. Bring the tithes. Try me. Test me. Invite me in. Now, um, our testimony is, is very simple. As most of you know, uh, from 1994 until 2000, uh, I, I was either gambling or recovering from gambling. And as a result, when we moved here in 2000, we had nothing. We even gave away our, our car because it wasn't worth driving out here. And uh, we used mom and dad's 1979 Mercedes for about a year. But, um, but God, when we came out here, we said, God, we're going to do it your way. Uh, we tried it my way. My way was good. I thought I was, I, I was a professional gambler. You know, I was terrible. Uh, and, and so, you know, I tried it my way, and that didn't work at all. And so we said, we're going to try it your way. And so we, we, we gave more than a tithe, and we ministered, and we invested in missionaries, and we just did our work. And and in those 12 years that we've been here, God has blessed us tremendously. I make less money now than I did at my church in Minnesota, but we have so much more because we put God first. Now, sometimes it's embarrassing for my sweet wife. Um, she thinks I should buy a new car. 
I've got a 2001 Corolla. The paint's chipping off of it. And every time she gets in it and we drive somewhere, you know, she ducks down so nobody will see her. She gets into my car and she says, it smells like Diet Coke and onions. I have no idea what that means. I don't, honey. Really, I still don't know what that means. It smells like Diet Coke and onions. But, but, the fact, but, but I love that car. It fits my butt just right. And it's got 160,000 miles on it. And, and by the way, Sherry's the one in our family that always says, we'll do without, you know, so that we can be generous. And, and even though I joke with it, she, she knows that we're not going to buy a new car because we want to have that flexibility. We want to have that ability to be generous. We want to, when a missionary comes to our church and says, we need more supporters. I want to be able to take out the checkbook and I don't want to be bound up by, oh no, my debt and I don't have any margins. I want to be able to just write that check. I want to be able to do that. And that's what God wants for us. He says, try me, test me, invite me in. Now, here's the 30 day challenge. And I've given you this before. The 30 day challenge is this. And the elders always cringe when I do this, but God's always faithful. If you are not giving regularly and sacrificially to the work of the Lord here at Hope, I want to challenge you to do it for 30 days, 30 days only. Okay. Well, I can't, I can't afford a tithe. Okay. Try 5%, try 3%, try 1%, but make sure it's something that you feel right. Not just, you know, that's easy. You know, make sure it's something you feel. And you test God for 30 days. And I guarantee you, if you put God first at the end of those 30 days, if you have, you'll have more spendable income than if you didn't. And if you don't, you call me and we'll refund your tithe. We'll give it back to you. That's how much we trust God in his words. He says, try me, test me, invite me in. Now, the principle of this passage is, is this, and I'll show it to you on the screen. Giving, priority giving of a percentage of your income breaks the power of money on an individual's life. It breaks the power of greed and materialism. God says, invite me into your finances. Yes, I know you invited me into the giving part of your jar and maybe even the savings part, but invite him into the spending part. Invite him into the spending part. You know, I mean, this is, I don't have to tell you this. All of us in here are, in, are even though, even if you're under the poverty level for the United States, all of us in here are still in the top 10% of money makers in the world, even if you're on less than poverty. Okay, so we have stuff. I mean, the shoes that we gave to that, for that, that boy uh, that had cancer, uh, those, these were shoes that we had left over. I didn't know, I had shoes in the back of my closet I hadn't seen for 10 years. You know, I didn't know they were there. You know, and we all have those kinds of stories. God says, trust me, try me. Invite me into your spending. Invite me into your saving. Invite me into your giving. Invite me in generously and strategically. Invite me in. So if you want to be balanced, if you want to experience financial freedom, God says, invite me into your finances. It already belongs to me. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. I mean, you can't serve two masters. Like in every area of your life, I invite you to surrender control every single day. You know, um, we always get attacked by stuff. Now, it doesn't actually get up and attack us, but, you know, every day, um, I'm just like you. I, I like things. I like nice things. Yeah, it'd be fun to drive a cool car, you know, or something like that. But, but every day, I have to surrender this area to the Lord. Every day. Now, I have to surrender my savings and my giving because that's already in place. But I have to surrender my spending. 
every day. Because I have the ability, I have the, the, the penchant, the, I have the, the, the bend towards um, spending frivolously. And, and I, I want to control that. I want to surrender that to God every single day. I want to surrender, surrender all of my things, all of my blings to God every single day. Invite Him in to your spending, to your saving, and to your giving. Invite Him in. Now, here's your assignment for next week. Okay, here's your assignment. Now, we talked earlier about the three laws of physical balance. Uh, you have to have a reference point. Uh, then you have to have constant corrections. And you have to have a clear objective. Well, this is about the reference point. Here's your reference point. Here's your assignment for this week. For the next seven days, spy on your money. For the next seven days, whether you use a ledger, a piece of paper, Quicken, whatever you use, for the next seven days, spy on your money. See where it goes. Like a private investigator. It'll be fun. Yeah. Some of you are going, oh, no. You know, uh, like a private investigator. Track every penny. And husbands and wives, no secrets. No se- that, that, that's usually uh, a sign that something's wrong. No secrets. Okay? Like uh, Sherry, uh, we, we do uh, Dave Ramsey. And so she gets a certain amount of money every week. And she runs the whole household on that amount of cash. And sometimes I'll say, oh, honey, let's go out to dinner tonight. She said, nope. Oh, come on, please. You know, I'm like, you know, nope, nope, don't have it. No, wait, you have to wait till after Monday. You know, that's all right. But so, 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 so you, no secrets. Okay. So a proper, a proper reference point is where is your money going? In other words, you need this kind of poem to ring in your ear. I need to be knowing where my money's going. Okay. So you're going to sing that all week long. I need to be knowing where my money's going. Uh, now it seems unspiritual to some of you, just the opposite of that. Uh, well, we're only supposed to focus on Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is the one who said, remember, where your treasure is, there is your heart. So let me give you an example. So let's say you have a financial planner. And I know some of you do. And uh, you go to your financial planner and your planner's uh, responsible to invest your money and to uh, make sure you have good savings and you have good some IRAs and you have some good things going on and, you know, invest your money for retirement for the kids to go to college and all that. So, so you go to your financial planner and you say, well, you know, how, how's it going? How's my, how's my money doing? You know, are, are, are we doing good? And they say, I don't know. You know well, well, what, well what, what happened to this $5,000? You know, stuff happens, you know. It's just gone, you know. I don't know where it's going. And we, if we had a financial planner like that, what would we do? We would fire them in a nanosecond. How dare you? I've given you the stewardship of my money. How dare you not know where it's going? How dare you just let it kind of flitter? And yet, oh, they say, oh, here it comes. I know, I can feel it. Here it comes. So here's the deal. God has given you the privilege and responsibility of being a steward of his money. His resources. You are God's financial planner. So when it comes to the money you have in your checking account, God is very clear about saying, how's it going? Where's it going? Are you being a good steward? Are you, are you loving people? Are you generous? Are you having margins? Are you saving for retirement, saving for your kids? How's it going? So here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Track every penny. Have a ledger or quicken, as I said, or a piece of paper. Now, and this isn't your bank statement. I say, well, I don't have to do that because my bank... No, because that means that you've already spent it. You want to, as you spend it, like when I stop and get a, a Diet Coke at a, at, a, at, a, at a 7-Eleven or something like that, um, that's okay, 
but I've got Diet Cokes in my refrigerator at the office. There's dozens of them. And um, after a hard day, maybe not a dozen left. But, but just, so, so, so you start every nickel, every dime. What am I doing with God's money? Okay, how am I spending it? And because um, I'm managing somebody else's money. I'm somebody else's financial manager, and that's God. So like the commercial for DirecTV, you know, don't watch TV. What? DirecTV, thank you. Somebody's awake. Thank you, Steve. Uh, don't watch TV, DirecTV. Well, don't watch your money. Uh, direct it. Direct your money. So start keeping a detailed uh, record of your finances. This week, seven days, uh, every little bit. So um, um, it would be similar if, let's say, um, you give your tithe to the church, and then the church says to you, thanks for your tithe. Um, you know, we're gonna, we'll take care of things, and uh, we'll make sure that Pastor Dwayne has a, has a jacuzzi, you know, and uh, things that matter, and and stuff and and and, and well, wait a minute what wait, wait a minute no 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 where's your money go if you want to know where money's going in church every single one of you uh members and regular attenders you can look at our complete financial records michelle pollard is our financial secretary uh, debbie selland is our treasurer and they get to the penny <laughs> we know to the penny what we do with your tithes and offerings why because it's not ours it belongs to god and so does yours so I want to challenge you this week. This is your assignment to spy on your money. We need a, pro- proper, a proper reference point, And that proper reference point for the future sermons is where is my money going? Number one principle in financial freedom, where is my money going? So I just want to close by saying that, again, there's, not, there's no gotcha here. There's no gotcha. I don't expect more people to tithe today because of this message. There's no gotcha. Uh, it, it's not that at all. Um, as your pastor, I don't want to take something from you. I want to give you something. I, I, I want you, when you surrender your finances to the Lord, to the Heavenly Father, you become free. You become free. You experience freedom that maybe you could never experience before. And, you have, and when a generous thought comes into your mind, a missionary or a, a compassionate international child or something, you don't have to think about, do I have enough money? You just react because the Spirit of God has moved in your heart. Be free to be generous to the Lord's work. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we're just so grateful that you have allowed us to live in a country where we have resources and there's, and there's so much we have. And I mean, just the debt that we owe as Americans would uh, give us uh, food for all people on this planet. And Lord, that's just bad management of money. And we're sorry. And we have done it the world's way and we've messed it up and we are sorry. And Father, we want to repent and we want to invite you into our finances. We want to invite you into our checkbook, our visa statement. We want to invite you into our gas tank. We want to invite you to every area of our life because it is your money. And we want to be good stewards of your money. So Lord, uh, this week, help us to do our homework, to track every penny. But more than that, every day, Lord, when we get up, help us to invite you in to our finances. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we love you for that. So bless us, Father, to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, I said there wasn't a gotcha, and there's not, but we do have to take an offering. Okay? So uh, don't give more than you thought you were going to.